0: Welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. Before we begin, I did an interview a while back with the podcast, Three Spooked Girls. It just released this week, so go listen. We had so much fun talking about cruise ships and embarrassing podcast moments and just all kinds of stuff. It was a blast talking to them. I've known them for a long time. And that's Three Spooked Girls. It's the number three, not spelled out. So find that wherever you get your podcasts. How are you this week? As you may be able to hear, I am under the weather at the moment. That's why I did not get out that guided nightmare like I promised. I'm telling you, my life is—it's in—it's—it's <laughs> in—it's in a lot of weird states right now. So I apologize, but I'm—I'm I'm very sick. Uh, so I apologize for my sick-sounding voice. I know sometimes people really don't enjoy hearing that. So that will be the rest of the episode. Just a warning. So if you're not into the sickness sounding, uh, click away. But if you like that, my I think it's down a few octaves, so you might enjoy it. I don't know. But while we relaxed together this evening, I was given the best idea for this episode by my friend and this episode's research assistant, Rosemary. It could possibly turn into a series depending on how you all like it and how much I can find on the subject so let me know again you can go to the Spotify comments or social media reply to me on Twitter Instagram Facebook let me know how you like this episode so this is a compilation of old newspaper articles and accounts of sightings and interactions with various paranormal entities there's something so eerie about these sometimes ancient accounts they're a reminder that our fascination with ghosts and ufos and cryptids are far from a modern phenomena we as humans have always had a fascination for mysteries that could be lurking out there in the world things we just don't understand so step back in time with me and let's discover some strange forgotten paranormal encounters This first story is from the Leeds Intelligencer and Yorkshire General Advertiser from Leeds, West Yorkshire, England. This issued on Tuesday, January 24th, 1786. A Ghost The town of Sunderland has been lately much alarmed by an apparition of a female figure all in white, with a child in its arms, which has appeared to many in the dead of night, coming from the sea, and advancing with a solemn step up the streets. An unfortunate young woman, having been drowned in her neighborhood, it was generally believed to be her perturbed spirit. Some of the revenue officers, prowling in quest of legal prey, meeting her and not thinking their duty extended to the obligation of examining visionary beings, took care to give her large room. Even the sentinels, who have boldly looked death in the face, distilled almost to jelly with their fear, stood dumb, and spoke not to it. The story becoming known to the officer's military, one of them ordered a soldier to speak to it, if it should appear on his guard, but he begged to be excused, for though he feared nothing living, he said he could not stand before a ghost on which the officer, enjoining him secretly, took his firelock and stood sentry in his room, saying with Hamlet, in a somewhat similar occasion, and with the proper variation, I'll watch tonight, perchance twill walk again, if it assume the inspiring form of a woman, I'll speak to it, though all bell should gape, and bid me hold my tongue. He accordingly took his station. The ghost appeared, and when it had advanced nearly opposite to him, he, not like the Royal Dane, with fear distorted countenance and tremulous accent, received it, but with the coolest intrepidity. And finding it began to quicken its pace as he approached, and that on a nearer view, it had more of the masculine than of the feminine in its demeanor. He drew his sword, swearing if it was vulnerable, He would run it through. It then flopped, called for mercy, and stooping, delivered itself not of a child, but of two cags of hollands, and, throwing off a sheet, discovered not the semblance of a woman, but the real form of a stout smuggler, and surrendered at discretion. Thus has His Majesty's revenue there have been happily relieved from the fraudful interference of supernatural agency." Ghosts will not now be suspected of smuggling, and custom house officers may lay violent hands on the specters of the night without fear of premature perdition. Okay, so I started with a little, uh, (laughs) not quite a ghost, but a, I was going to say clever man who fooled a bunch of people, but he did get caught, so, but still, I mean, not a bad way to try to smuggle things, I guess by the way, going on, I forgot to say this at the top of the show, there are going to be a few phrases I change when I read some of these articles. They're very old, and with old articles comes very outdated language. So if you do uh, seek out some of these articles on your own, which I highly encourage you to, they're very fun to go through, old, um, you know, paranormal articles. But if you do see that a few sentences are a little different than how I read them, that's why. So just full transparency there are a few uh turns of phrase and descriptions and things i will be changing as i read them and um yeah if you have a problem with it then uh take it up with my hr representative her name is clara bow and um you can reach her by um i don't know she doesn't have an email address but you can email me and i promise i will forward it to her uh and she can be bribed with treats. Temptations specifically, so there you go. This next one is UFO-themed. This I did not get an exact date for. I looked it up, and I think this happened in the late 1800s, early 1900s. But the headline reads, Airship seen in Galveston. Walter L. Norwood, an undertaker, viewed it early yesterday morning. A Farmersville man's account. Saw two men and heard them conversing in a strange language. Another saw the pilot. Walter L. Norwood, an undertaker, and Bob Tevis, his driver, saw the airship yesterday morning over the city of Galveston. Mr. Norwood was sitting on the bench in front of J. Levy and Bros stables, and Mr. Levy announced to a newsman that he had seen the airship. After some badinage, he protested his innocence of attempting a joke. No, this is not a joke. I'm telling you the truth. I was called out to 39th and R about three o'clock this morning. A man out there had died and we were called to prepare him for the burial. The moon was shining brightly and we could see almost as plainly as in daylight. There was not a cloud in the sky. When we were out on the beach, not far from our destination, I happened to look up and saw the thing. It moved to the eastward, down the beach, following the line of the beach, as closely as one would do if driving a buggy. We stopped and watched it, When down about the end of the island it turned and followed the bay front until about Tremont Street. When it turned again, crossed over the town and went south over the gulf, disappearing into the distance. Did it look anything like the picture in the news yesterday morning? It was not so pointed as the ends as that. The picture shows the headlight as being directed more toward the earth, while in reality, it is directly in front. For when it was over us, we could see no light at all. It looked like a great big bird. The wings flapped regularly as it appeared to go swiftly. How far up was it? Oh, I could not tell exactly, especially at night, but I judge it was about four times as high as one of those telephone poles. The poles are sixty feet in height. Further than this, he could give no details. Mr. Tevis was, like his wife, examined separately and apart when he told the same story. Heard the men talking. Farmersville, Texas, April 16th. To the news. Last night about nine o'clock, a dim light was seen in the northwest, apparently moving to the south or southeast. When first seen, it did not look larger than an ordinary 50-cent silver piece. Those watching it soon discovered that the object was approaching the city. It traveled at the rate of 60 or 80 miles an hour. Some thought it to be a cloudless tornado, and those who had stormhouses lost no time in getting into them, while the more unfortunate waited and watched the result of the approach of the queer object. In a very short time, fully two thirds of the citizens of the city were out looking at what they then supposed to be a large planet or meteor approaching the earth. In a few moments, in fact, in less time than one can tell it, the queer thing was almost hanging over the city. City Marshal Brown was in the western part of the city making his rounds before going home and says the ship or balloon passed over him about 200 feet from the ground. Mr. Brown said he could see two men in the ship and something resembling a large Newfoundland dog. Mr. Brown said he was close enough to them to hear them talking, but could not understand one word of their language. He is in the opinion that they are Spaniards. He thinks Spain has sent several of these airships to the United States with none but trusted officers of the Spanish government to make a survey of the country. So, in case the United States should declare war against Spain, the latter nation would know every weak seaport station in the United States, and Spain would know just where to land her army and attack our weak points. R. Porter, L. E. Bumpus. Truthful citizens saw it. Ladonia, Texas, April 17th. There seems to be no more doubt in the minds of some regarding the airship. Attorney R. M. Rowland said that this morning, about three o'clock, Having had to go for the doctor for his child, as he left home, he noticed a strange object far up and at a great distance in the northeast. It seemed to be surrounded by a dim, misty light. But as it approached, the light became brighter. It was moving very rapidly in a southwest direction and lowering somewhat as it progressed. When it reached a point nearly overhead, one could readily see the light shining out of the cabin windows. The headlight was very bright, leaving the impression that it was made by electricity. The wings were huge in appearance. It had a long sail-like tail and disappeared very rapidly in a southwesterly direction. Colonel R.N. Burt, assistant cashier of the Weldon National Bank of this place, it is said, by a reliable person, also saw the ship last night about the same time Mr. Rowland saw it, having been aroused by some unusual noise in his poultry yard. His description varies little from that of the others, only that it appeared much larger to him, as he said that it seemed to be about 300 feet long, its wings being enormous and looking like huge sails. It seemed to hover for a short time over the city and then rise and go rapidly in a southwesterly direction. Mr. Burt seems to think it strange that anyone would doubt the reality of this airship. He is a gentleman who is unimpeachable and his word is not doubted, is a strict member of the Baptist Church and is a leader in the Loyal League. Seen in Garland, Garland, Texas, April 17th. The airship, which created so much excitement Thursday night, was seen in Garland by several men, the number being J. N. Floyd, Agent N. S. Newland of the Katy and Mr. Katy. It was reported by them as traveling in a southerly direction at a surprising velocity passing a few miles to the west of the town. Mr. Floyd got a good look at the ship and says he could see the engineer operating the machinery. Mr. Newland said the ship was in the shape of a cigar and had two sets of wings on either side and one wing at the rear end. These gentlemen are reliable and their accounts of the noted mid-air traveler have created no little excitement in Garland. A Texarkana view. Texarkana, Texas, April 17th. The mysterious bright light has been visible in the heavens for the past fortnight, has been seen from this point Wednesday night. It was spied by the telegraph operator at Hope, Arkansas, who claims to have experienced a full ray of the headlight upon himself at about 11 p.m. He says that it was zigzag in its course in a northwesterly direction, and was sailing about a mile high, that he plainly discerned the shade of a large, dark object. With a light which he thought could be nothing but an airship thursday night many truthful citizens in texarkana viewed a light of monster proportions sailing away to the northwest it was described as too large and too near the earth to be a star seen at davis it april 16th the stories about the famous and much heard of airship were satisfactorily proven to the people of this vicinity Last night, shortly after dark, A. M. Michener, coming from his residence to town, saw the strange and mysterious object flying through the air about 500 feet from the ground. I thought this was such a fascinating story. I mean, that many witnesses, that many witnesses, and the way they describe the airship, I don't know if I've ever, I have to admit, I'm not very well versed in UFOs and things but um, I've never heard a UFO described that way. Like, cigar-shaped... I have heard of cigar-shaped ones, but not with the sail-like wings on the sides and the back. And, I don't know, the the description of the fact that they could see the pilots inside and a Newfoundland dog? (laughs) It almost sounded... You know me. I like to go a little more towards the, like, ghosty-type paranormal. Um, And so my brain went to, like, a time slip. Like... Or time travelers, or something like that. Again, these types of episodes, everyone, we we, you know, we have our skeptic hats on, but we can turn them to the side a little, <laughs> make them a little off kilter. So, if you're fully a non-believer in anything high strangeness, then I don't know what to tell you, because I love this kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, I don't know, like a a time slip, or it could be aliens, and maybe aliens just kind of look like us, because none of them said that the pilots looked alien they looked like it sounds like they looked like men i mean that one that one guy thinks that it was the spanish spying on texas and uh so i assume that they looked like uh regular men you know and a dog <laughs> two men and a dog you know what's a better way to travel so what do you think that was i think that's really strange again so many accounts so many people saw it and so many saw it in different ways but so many saw it in the same way And around 3 o'clock in the morning, which of course is a spooky time of night already, I still, every once in a while, if I wake up and it's in the 3 o'clock hour, that's when my, you know, the... (laughs) the Internal fear of the dark starts coming in, and I'm usually not very afraid of the dark at all. But if it's three o'clock hour, I'm like, "This is it. This is when I'm going to see something horrifying, and the trajectory of my life is going to change from here." Or if I'm still awake at three o'clock in the morning, I usually wait. If I'm, if it's, if it's three, I'm just going to wait until four to go to bed. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, something about that three o'clock hour, and I don't know. Tell me what you think. Seriously, I'd love for this episode to be, become a conversation because this stuff is just so so fascinating okay on to the next this was printed in shield's daily gazette in 1897 the haunted cab a London story if one speaks of haunted cabs one is likely to be greeted with a cynical smile Nevertheless, in a certain muse in London, there is an old and exceedingly dilapidated four-wheeler, which is treated as a valuable relic, and spoken of with awe and deference by the cabbies who visit the yard. This ancient wreck is time-worn and worm-eaten. Its cushions smell musty, moths and mice have played havoc with its linings, and there is a vast hole in the roof that ventilates in a most uncomfortable manner in its shabby interior. On certain nights, muffled moans and harsh cries can be heard by those who are daring enough to venture near it after dark. And if anyone is so foolhardy as to sit upon its dingy cushions, the whole yard shivers at the audacity and trembles for the consequences. I absolutely love this. I was at um, some sort of, like, farming museum one time in somewhere in the south. I don't even remember where. And there was this old dilapidated car there, and I don't even remember why it was there. But on a whim, I went and, like, sat in the back seat, probably to take a picture or something. And I got the worst feeling. Like, you always hear about from ghost hunters and things talking about, or people who have encountered paranormal stuff talking about how they they get this overwhelming sense of dread all of a sudden and that's how they know something's in the room and i fully understand that feeling now after sitting in that car i don't know what it was it was like something was like had grabbed a hold of my spine and was like get out of here now <laughs> and it was so eerie i don't even think i got the picture that i wanted i just like basically sat in there for a few seconds and then got out because Something was telling me to leave. Something did not want me in that car. And I know that's probably how these people felt when they would dare each other. I assume uh, school children daring each other to go sit in this haunted cab. I wonder if this cab exists in any capacity in London anymore. I wonder where this... Uh, did it say? I don't remember. It, it must be in some sort of wreck yard or something. But uh, if, if there's an old cab from the 1800s anywhere around you and you live in London, then let me know. <laughs> is it still there? And is it still haunted? And what kind of haunted is it? I love that there's no legend anyone has had attached to it by now. You know, you'd think that there'd be like, oh, and the story goes that this is why it's haunted. Nope, they're like, I don't know. There's moans and groans, and it's very scary. And when you sit in it, the entire... The, the whole yard shivers at the audacity and trembles for the consequences. Like, what does that mean? Uh, love it, love it. God, I just love ghosts so much. So this next entry requires a little setup. So this was written by Alvar Nunez Cabeza de Vaca, And if you are not familiar with this man, he was a Spanish explorer of the New, new World. Um, he was part of several expeditions to find different routes uh, from... Different, uh, I believe, different um, uh, leaders of Europe, uh, not just Spain, but I believe he was part of an expedition from Charles V, who was the emperor of Austria. This is a very, very small way to put into words who this person was. But um, basically, uh, Cabeza de Baca was involved in a shipwreck and eventually went back to Spain and he wrote down his narratives about this expedition and the shipwreck and wrote down a lot of what happened and what he experienced during his time in, again, the quote-unquote new world. And this is an entry from that book. Chapter 35. The story of the visitation of Mr. Bad Thing. The AVAVARES and the tribes we had left behind related an extraordinary experience which, in our equivalent of their vague way of counting, seemed to have occurred 15 or 16 years before. They said that a little man wandered through the region whom they called Bad Thing, Malacosa. He had a beard and they never saw his features distinctly. When he came to a house, the inhabitants trembled and their hair stood on end. A blazing brand would suddenly shine at the door as he rushed in and seized whom he chose, deeply gashing him in the side with a very sharp flint, two palms long and a hand wide. He would thrust his hand through the gashes, draw out the entrails, cut a palm's length from one, and throw it on the embers. Then he would gash an arm three times, the second cut on the inside of the elbow, and would sever the limb. A little later, he would begin to rejoin it, and the touch of his hands would instantly heal the wounds. They said that frequently during the dance, he appeared in their midst, sometimes in the dress of a woman, at other times in that of a man. When he liked, he would take a buhio up in the air and come crashing down with it. They said they offered him victuals many times, but he never ate. They asked him where he came from and where his home was. He pointed to a crevice in the ground and said, his home was there below we laughed and scoffed indignant at our disbelief they brought us many whom they said had been so seized and we saw the gash marks in the right places self-inflicted we told them he was an evil one and as best we could taught them that if they would believe in god our lord and become christians like us they need never fear him nor would he dare come and inflict these wounds They could be certain that he would not appear while we remained in the land. This delighted them, and they lost much of their dread. So, um, I was discussing this with my friend Rosemary, who suggested a lot of these, and um, she's been reading this book, and she did point out this is someone who, you know, was sent by the uh, royals and the church to come to um you know uh, colonize the new world so the throwing in of of course you know let's go on a mission and let's tell them if they become christians this creepy thing will never bother them again and who knows if it did but isn't that strange this being that lives in the ground who would come and just take a part of your entrails and chop off your arm a little bit but then join it back together that's I mean, I can't even wrap my head around it. I feel like we I've never heard any sort of being or entity like that since, or, you know, in, in any other reading I've ever heard of, you know. There are so many cryptids and things that we hear in over so many different societies and so many different cultures, like vampires, you know. But this is so strange. I mean, I, would, I, would, I don't even know what to call this. <laughs> it's such a weird little ritual, too. Um... So, what are your, again, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on um, Mr. Bad Thing? Which, Mr. Bad Thing is a horrifying name. It's so simple. It sounds childlike, but, oh, wow, is that horrifying. At least when I first read it, I was like, ugh, don't let Mr. Bad Thing come get you. He's going to take a part of your guts and throw him in the fire, and then, ugh, what is it? What? What is it? Ugh. And we are back in Texas for this next one. Texas Poltergeist, 1881, by O.G. Lawson and Kenneth W. Porter. Late in the autumn of 1948, an historian was rapidly going through some executive papers of Humble Oil and Refining Company when he encountered a letter which presented a strange contrast to the reports of experiments with methanol gas with which some humorously inclined clerk had filed it. The historian was also a folklorist, so instead of passing rapidly over the document, he read it with particular attention. The pertinent parts follow. January 1926, Mineral Wells, Manager Humble Oil Company, Cisco. Dear sir, I know you will think I am batty, but I hope I am not. I understand from Mr. R.T. Woodson was figuring with you to lease the old by woodson farm six miles south of cisco by woodson was my wife's grandfather now this is a spooky story but it's a fact in the early day in the settling up of that territory by woodson bought that place from yet an earlier settler with the one room log house which still remains in part and after living there some years there got to be some strange things going on there. Would be knocking on the wall outside, and finally, whatever it was, would get upstairs while the family was all in the room and throw rocks, eggs, butcher knives, and all kinds of things from upstairs, and they would rush upstairs and make a search, and not a thing to be found, and hundreds of people went there and witnessed the performance, and the mystery was never solved, and everyone believed that there was some kind of treasure under the house and all at once all of that monkeying quit. If you will go and have a look around just where the house stands, you will find a teapot dome with lots of black oil and gas rocks on it, and there may be oil there. I forgot to say that the first strange thing that happened there was late one night, my wife's father and another man was in the room setting by the fire, and all of a sudden, A small little boy stood before them and said, nor done nothing for a few minutes and then vanished. Say, I'll bet an oil well you won't go down there and spend a night in that house all alone. Now, if you will put under a well in the southwest corner of the log shack, you are bound to get a big oil well, and that's where it always started to perform. I go down there every fall to gather pecans. Let me hear how you like this spooky story. Yours truly, A.C. Traweek. I love old ghost stories from settlers. Seems like as people moved west, uh, they disturbed a lot of things. They disturbed a lot of energies and they disturbed a lot of people who were already here, but you know, <laughs> but also there are a lot of ghost stories from this time. I read one years ago on the show. I can't remember which episode it was in, but I, I came across this, is uh, a, a similar. It was a poltergeisty type story and it had to do with these settlers, and um, they actually found the remnants of like these bodies. And the it had to do with it had. To, if you're a longtime listener, it was the one that had to do with they were eating these strawberries that were amazing, but then they realized that there were dead bodies near the strawberries, so that the bodies would have like fed the strawberries. I don't know. It was it was wild, but hey, I just think that yeah, like I said, as as people moved west, they were disturbing a lot of forces and things. <laughs> And, uh, this, these old settler stories are just, uh, I I mean, these are the types of people who had no reason to make this stuff up. I think that's why I find them so interesting. Like there was just, they didn't gain anything from it. You know, he didn't gain from, you know, writing to this oil company other than saying you might find oil there. And I wonder if they ever did. I wonder exactly where this place was. And there might still be part of a dilapidated cabin there. Uh, when I was a kid. I used to go uh, to this island up in the Orcas Islands, and I remember exploring. And there was this old, again, an old, dilapidated cabin. And I always wanted to look more into it, but it was too too spooky for me at the time. As a kid, it was too spooky, and it's probably a good thing. There's probably some sort of basement or something I would have fallen into and then never been found. But <laughs> I love the idea of these old these settlements we've just forgotten about, you know and Uh, that's, that's all I have to say about that. Sorry if I'm, I'm extra rambly this episode. Again, I'm not feeling well. And, uh, uh, excuse my mushy brain. So this next one was printed in the Daily Herald in Provo, Utah. Thursday, October 31st, 1946. So a Halloween story. And the headline reads... Ghostly Lady in Black Still Haunts Boston's Fort Warren by Jack Frost. United Press Staff Correspondent. Boston, October 31st. If the ghostly and infamous lady in black treads the ramparts in old Fort Warren in Boston Harbor this Halloween, she'll make an abrupt and perhaps fatal acquaintance with one of the nation's foremost spook hunters. In the eerie area twixt the ancient battlements, black arch and the dank corridor of dungeons will be hidden Edward Rowe Snow, an historian who's spent 16 years and nine canoes chasing the sprites and spirits supposedly haunting the Boston Harbor Islands. Equipped with a witch's traditional broomstick, he plans to use it cudgel fashion, Evening a dozen scores with this dame in widow's weeds who sought to slay two Union soldiers and drove a G.I. raving mad in the final days of World War II. Snow is entering the hunt with an open mind because his research has revealed these facts. During the Civil War, one Captain Andrew Lanier was confined with several hundred other Confederate soldiers in Fort Warren. Desperately plotting to free her love, his slim and pretty wife stole north from Crawfordville, Georgia, obtaining a man's clothing from a Boston sympathizer, and armed with a pistol, contrived to reach the fort under cover of darkness in a small boat, in which were several picks and shovels. Reaching the corridor of dungeons where the Southerners were confined, she crawled through a grating to her husband's cell. With others, the captain sought to tunnel to freedom, but the clink of a pick brought the roundsmen, and all were placed in chains. Mrs. Lanier drew her pistol, fired at Colonel Dimick, who commanded the fort, but accidentally killed her spouse instead. Ultimately, she went to the gallows, garbed in a black dress that was found among the fort's stores. Some months later, a blanched sentry ran screaming into the parade grounds from his lonely post on the fort's cover face with a wild story of a lady in black who tried to throttle him. He was suspected of too frequent visits to the company's store of rum and placed in irons. 20 years later, a poker game in the ordnance storeroom was hastily concluded when a rock hurled by an unseen hand rolled noisily down a corridor and brought up against the table. Once a woman's footprints were found in the snow, coming from nowhere and leading to the same place. An old soldier told of a woman's high-pitched voice warning him from a cell block. Less than three years ago, while World War II was still in progress, a GI was found on the cover face babbling incoherently. He was dispatched to a nearby mental hospital. One recent afternoon, Snow, seeking respite from his labors on his latest book, a pilgrim returns to Cape Cod, decided to visit the fort. During his stroll, his foot slipped through a water-worn bit of masonry, uncovering a black passageway that led down through what was apparently a solid granite wall. With a hastily procured rope, Snow lowered himself down the aperture so narrow that at times it seemed he might be trapped and become a ghost himself. 15 feet below the fort's bastion, a horizontal passage 90 feet long and scarcely high enough to crawl through, led toward the Black Arch, a grim chamber wherein Mrs. Lanier was sentenced to die. If there is a ghostly lady, Snow said, that's where she's hidden all these years. There was the smell of death in that passage, There were marks that could have been footprints, although the opening I came down apparently was the only way you could get into the passage. But the most curious thing I found was a broken shovel. It was rusty and of ancient design. It looked much like one of those brought to the fort in Civil War days by the Lady in Black. Isn't that a fantastic story? I mean, it's got everything. <laughs> it's got mystery and murder and romance and everything. It's just got everything. Isn't that fantastic? And I wonder I wonder if I could somehow find a follow-up story by um, Jack Frost <laughs> and or something I'm going to look up this, um, this ghost hunter a little more. this Mr. Um, let's see what was his name. Edward Rowe Snow. I'm going to look him up and see if he has anything else to say about the Lady in Black, or what he found in the corridor. Uh, what did he find down there? Recently, I've been watching um, a lot of videos on Herculaneum, which was near Pompeii during um, you know the, the eruption of Mount Vesuvius, and a lot of people know about Pompeii, um, but Herculaneum kind of gets a little more forgotten. In fact, it wasn't discovered... Until after Pompeii. And it was believed that most of the people made it out of Herculaneum, but they didn't. They found a pit of like these bodies where people had been trying to hide from the ash, and it was, you know, it was pummeled by pum- pumice stone. But anyway, it's much more um, intact than Pompeii. As intact as Pompeii is, Herculaneum is actually more intact, and it's got a lot more organic matter that's intact, like wood and. A lot of the uh, statues still look painted the way that uh, they actually used to paint things, not the white statues we're familiar with. They were actually very colorful. I'm sure most of you know that by now. But um, so fascinating, and I'm just so interested in basically secret passages. There's always been an Indiana Jones in me, and I've always wanted to find some sort of secret passage that hasn't been witnessed in millennia or hundreds of years. And the idea that this Edward Snow was just walking around and his foot went through some masonry, and he found this cool passage and found an, I mean the shovel alone would would just be uh, I would go bonkers, I would just be so excited to find this old shovel, just knowing that someone hadn't touched it, you know in a hundred years. Well, let's see, this came out in 49, and yeah, it would have been about a hundred years uh, from the Civil War, so yeah, and that's just stuff like that is just so fascinating to me. I think that's a good place to end for this week. That was such a good one. I looked for a few, maybe little ones to throw in, but that was just such a, a great one to end on. Um, and again, I can make this a series. There are lots of these uh, these articles I've found. And if you come across any, feel free to send them to me. I'm happy to read them. I might even do some, because I have read older articles in the past, but I might reread a couple of them uh, just to keep them all in these this new series that I've, I've decided it's going to be a series. I'm definitely going to do this again. This was a lot of fun and I appreciate you bearing with me through my, uh, illness and through all the weird setbacks I've had this year. It's been a year. I keep telling my friends, I feel like, um, Job from the Bible (laughs) and I'm just being tested over and over and over again, but it's okay. We're all gonna, it's going to be good. Life is going to be good. It's one of those, you know, it's one of those years where you're sitting there and you're like, This time next year is going to be real good, okay? And you just kind of, you know, hold on to that. Anyway, thank you for listening. Thank you again to Rosemary for the idea and for gathering several of these articles for me. And uh, you can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all at You to Sleep. You can follow me personally at ShelbyBScott. And I'm also on Blue Sky. And if you want to follow me there i haven't been that active lately but you know life but i will be don't worry i'm going to try to be more active on all those platforms and thank you so much for those of you who participate in those platforms it's it's really great you know i hate to say it but internet points feel good you know uh all your comments and likes and all those things um much appreciated uh over the last few weeks so also that guided nightmare, I promise, will come out. It will. Uh, this is me at my best right now. The beginning of the week, I had a fever. I My voice was gone. My tonsils were so swollen. Oh, my God. And um, I could not even talk into my microphone. So I but that, that guided nightmare will come out. It's a lot of fun. I really wish I could have gotten it out for Halloween. But it's a lot of fun. And, you know, those of us around here. Every day is is spooky season, right? It's always spooky season. So it doesn't just have to stop when Halloween stops and those will be out. I'm trying to pick up the pace on guided nightmares. I really like putting them out and I'm finding them still difficult to write, but uh, I've gotten a na- I think I'm just being less harsh on myself. Uh, I'm realizing what you guys like about them and everything, so that's been good. All right. uh, What else? Oh, go listen to Three Spooked Girls. Go listen to my interview. That was, again, I I recorded that a while back. So if you're like, hey, were you faking your sick voice because you sound fine in that? No. (laughs) I recorded that like over a month ago. And uh, so go listen to that. Their show is great, too. They do true crime. They do paranormal. And they're both just fantastic. Um, So go give them a listen. And what else do I have? Oh, Burger Boys. I didn't mention Burger Boys. So the Mayfair Watchers Society, incredible spooky audio drama on the Bloody FM network, which I am a part of. Um, It's based on the artwork and work of Trevor Henderson, who created Siren Head. I was so lucky to do a panel with Trevor Henderson at Midsummer Scream, but they just released a bonus episode called Burger Boys, and I play an evil fast food retail manager. And it was so much fun. It's made in the style of an old, like 1980s, 90s training video for this like burger place. And it was, it was so much fun. So please go listen to that. I play the, I I walk you through what you're going to be doing here at Burger Boys. Now that you're an employee, I have a lot more voice acting coming up in the future. So that's pretty exciting. Uh, Most of it won't come out for a while, but um, yeah, go listen to that and go listen to The Shed, which is the latest episode of Skin Crawl, and it's one that I wrote, so I'm very proud of it, and yeah, just go subscribe to SkinCrawl in general. Uh, my first, again, my first show-running directing job, and that's just, you know, support, help, help give your old pal Shelby a shout-out, and I'm going to be doing some more of that in the future with a new show I'm actually going to be working on. I, I'm just trying to work 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 uh so there will be more of me to come but uh this show by the way it hasn't suffered because of the other work i'm doing it's simply because of moving and life and uh being sick again just just call me job (laughs) all right everyone i'm going to let you go i promise next week we'll be uh back to normal and thank you for bearing with me and thank you everything and i hope you enjoyed this fun i love these i love these old articles you know me i love old dusty stuff and here was a big old dose of old dusty stuff all right go get some sleep sweet dreams